Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Hey everyone, welcome to Encounter Grace. So glad you're with us. I'm Jason McKnight and I'm here with Ben Hendricks, fresh back from vacation by the time we're recording this. Ben, how did it go? It was good. Anytime when you're with your, or you're with family, uh, it could go either way. And this time it went well. <laughs> Excellent. And anytime you build your family and bring it to your family, because now this is kind of the first big vacation with yeah, the little uh, one. Flying with a seven month old is, uh, it, it's a, it's a wild ride. <laughs> it's a wild ride. Well, we can, uh, we can get into that. Maybe we'll do that on another one, how to fly with your, with your baby. But anyway, uh, today we are actually not only going to talk about Ben's vacation in Nashville, but we're also going to talk about a topic that has sparked conflict and even uh, inflamed debate. It's, uh, though, I would say needs to be a topic of hope and assurance. We have to address this. If we get this wrong, we get everything wrong, <laughs> if you really want to think about it. Um, what does it take to be saved? This is a simple question. They're all one-syllable words, but really it gets to the heart of our eternity. What does it take to be saved? What is the minimum requirement for salvation? And that's not somewhere we want to stop in our lives at the minimum requirement, just squeaking in, but what does it take to be saved? So Ben, I think you need to lead us through this. Ben, you've been, you've been working this up. Of course, you have different conversations with parents and kids and friends, and you came to Christ in college. And so your life of when you weren't saved, when you are saved, how does that all look? So I think we'd love to have you unpack this as God has unpacked it in your life. What does it take to be saved? Yeah, because this question has actually come up a lot. It comes up a good bit in student ministry with so many kids just not questioning their salvation, but trying to have a a deeper grasp of it because as they kind of transition out of just their parents' faith and Mm. what that looks like and what that means for them, they're trying to really figure out, like, what does it mean for them? And are the assurances that their parents may have and may feel, can they feel those as well? And so a lot of the time I do get the question, like, what does it take to be saved? Let me start off with this, and this is an even off note. We're already there, is um, just a good reminder that there's a, drastic difference between assurance and insurance when it when you're mm. looking at your faith. What we want to offer today is, and what the Bible offers is assurance, that we can be assured that God has is moving in our lives, He's shaping our lives, He's a part of our lives. And that is just what God wants for us, because He doesn't want us to go through life always wondering, always questioning. We've probably all been there at times, but God wants us to have the confidence to walk in the spirit and in the power of what he's given us and who he's given us. But that's different than insurance where some of us kind of just want to go through, we want the checklist and just go, Hey, look, I want to keep living my life my way and just do, do stuff this way. But like, and let me just check off the box. And so if, if this is what we're listening for, we're, we're going to be disappointing today because as we kind of help navigate the complicated waters, of what does it take to be saved, if all we want is a checklist, we're going to miss out. That's really, really good. So where we want to start today is looking at some of these I am statements that are in John. Hmm. That's interesting. And so when we look at them, we quickly learn that our salvation is profoundly Savior-centered. So let me give you a couple examples. So these are Jesus' words. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. And John 10, 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then lastly, John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Hmm. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Let me give you two more just from Peter and Paul, uh, two of the apostles, right? That Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which must the, which we must be saved. Mm. And then Paul in Ephesians 1, all things under his headship. So to wrap all of these up with the bow, it is I am, I am, I am, I am. <laughs> Ultimately, friends, it is about Jesus. I mean, that's really good. Like, I, I think that it's a person-centered answer yeah. is exactly in line with everything Scripture says. And, Absolutely. And, and I think you're, you're, you're hitting this helpfully for me because I can overcomplicate it. Yeah. But it's, it's whatever else salvation is, it's to do with Jesus. Yep. And that's why that checklist never works out quite so yeah. well. We never feel so assured that it can only be insurance at that point. But what's interesting like enough that what I've experienced is that it isn't because we don't, like, we don't know the answer of why we're always wrestling with this. But I think that the problem is that we overcomplicate this answer. Just as you were saying that like right. we're kind of wrestling through uh, what does it take to be saved. And sometimes that it looks like a person isn't a good enough answer because it isn't that here are the four things. And so I don't think it's so far-fetched to assume many of us, when we are reading our Bibles, can quickly become, become confused with, with the question of what does it take to be saved. So... Perhaps we do read the Gospels and we feel confident, then hear the high calling, and this happened to me, and the Sermon on the Mount, and become a little worried. Right, it's true. Like, to be perfect? What do we do with that? And then we read Paul on justification, and then we become confident again. (laughs) But then we read James, and we hear the tongue, and we become a little confused. And so I wonder how many of us are like me at times, when salvation just seems complicated. You know, Blaise Pascal back in the 16 or 1500s in France, he just has this great quote, if you're not afraid, you need to be afraid. Hmm. But if you're afraid, you don't need to be afraid. It's helpful. And, and f- fear in the sense of reverence and, and concern. Yeah. Like, wh- how am I standing with God? Well, if you're not afraid, insurance in your back pocket, yeah. then you ought to be afraid. Yeah, but if you're a little bit, a little bit, hey, wait a minute, am I living up to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, without being uh, so far that you're just filled with worry? But if you're like, hey, Lord, am I doing this? Am I being this? Then, then you're probably okay. Yeah, if you're I'm concerned actually, about that. I had a mentor of mine in seminary who walked me through that. It was so helpful in life because I'm like, I'm sitting in seminary and I'm looking at Sermon on the Mount, I'm looking at James, I'm looking at some of this stuff, and I'm like, I'm looking at my own life. I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure I'm this. And I, and he just was like, how many people do you think are worried about this who don't really love the Lord? And right. It's, like, that's so, it's so helpful. Yep. So I think we often, our problem, and what we want to focus on really quickly is help, like when we start looking at salvation, we often oversimplify salvation or we overcomplicate it. Hmm. So what I want to do really quickly is kind of rem- Walk us through these two ways that we, the ways that we oversimplify and overcomplicate it. And, and, then, and these are wrong. Yep. Okay. And then laser focus on what is 
it actually take to be saved? Because I think in many ways, if we don't remove the baggage, we're just yep. tossing stuff up there and hoping yep. it sticks. So the first way I, <laughs> to mix a metaphor. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I think the first way we kind of cause some problems in this question is we oversimplify. And so a lot of us know this. Some of us grew up this way where we reduce salvation to a moment, an act, or a connection. So a moment or an act is we all know the story of maybe we have VBS coming up and you walked the aisle or you prayed the prayer and you weren't really sure what you were saying or you didn't really, maybe you didn't really believe it, but the emotions of the room or whatever it was, and you walked the aisle and you prayed the prayer. Mm -hmm. And so once and for all, maybe your life doesn't resemble any of the decision you made that day, but you made the decision and we reduce it salvation to a moment. Does that make sense? Yep. yep. Or the next one is a connection. We have a lot of this a bit in the South that where mom and probably all over as well, but my, where we have the connection to a parent or to a, hmm. a relative or to someone who is a Christian that my mom and dad are Christians. And so I am too. A, a lot of people, a lot of kids grow up that way. Well, if that's true of them, it must be true of me as well. Mm-hmm. We oversimplify. Yeah, we just reduce it to belonging to the right church or right family or yep. to some act in our past that hasn't affected our present. Okay, yep. and we think we're done. So that's insurance. Yep. But we can also overcomplicate it. How? Yep. So one of the ways is that we make salvation about how much we know. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Yeah. So there are undoubtedly core doctrines of the faith, mm-hmm. like the Trinity, Christology, and this idea has had a massive uptick in the last 50 years just with conservative evangelicalism of getting the gospel right because we mm. want to not miss out on things because we right. are focused. Like, this is not a bad thing. Right, right. To- These are good things. And so the idea is Jesus can save you from everything but bad theology. <laughs> I was an ex-murderer, but yeah. now I'm also Arminian. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> and so the problem here is when we have this belief that we have to get everything just right mm. or Jesus can't save us. And the mantra is you can't earn your way to heaven, but you can learn your way to heaven. So this is funny. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the problem that this is actually really difficult. And so some of us, as we're hearing this, we're kind of like, oh, but, but like, no, truth matters. Mm-hmm. No, it, truth really matters. Mm-hmm. It absolutely matters. And getting the gospel right does matter. We can't miss out on that. These core doctrines, these truths, who Jesus is, what he's done, what the gospel is and what it isn't, those matter. Understanding the Trinity and who Christ really is matters. Mm-hmm. But God saves despite the adequacy of our theology. And inadequacy. And inadequacy, right? Yeah, he saves us despite, yep, yep. So let me give you a... No, that's good. Yeah, keep going. Give us an example. Example. So the Trinity, and this one can feel a little iffy and can feel a little funny when we talk about it, but absolutely there is this biblical concept of the Trinity that we know because of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. There are examples all of it all over through Scripture. Yeah, the Great Commission, baptized yep. in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Creation itself, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they make it clear. They were all there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they or he? Oh, yeah. Both. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. But what's interesting is it wasn't until 325 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea where the church formed a statement of how to understand the Trinity. 
So there were people in the early church, I believe, who never fully understood the Trinity. And I'll make the argument are now in heaven, Mm -hmm. which gives me confidence because I don't fully understand the Trinity. And I have a whole lot more systematic theologies and textbooks and all kinds of stuff than they did. Mm -hmm. Now, truth absolutely matters, and we need to strive for truthful and right doctrine. So what this doesn't mean is that we just toss it out and we go, well, none of it matters, so let me just believe what I want to believe. That's not what I'm saying. It means that studying, learning, and striving to know God's Word matters, and we need to, and we need to focus on that, and we need to make that a part of our life. But our hope is not that Jesus saves those who know the most, but those whom He knows. Yeah, there it is. There it is. That Back matters. to the person. It's the person, not the content. Mm-hmm. So that's the first way we overcomplicate yep. it, by we make it about our theology. <laughs> he can save you from any sin except bad theology. Okay. Yeah. What's another way we overcomplicate? We make it about how much you do, how much mm-hmm. we do. So... There are plenty of moments in Scripture where salvation can feel a little bit about all that we do. Yeah. So one of my favorite passages of all of Scripture, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We see things like anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation. This is Matthew 5. Love your enemies. Jesus literally ends with, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> what are we supposed to do with that? <laughs> and then James doesn't quite help us out too much in James 2, 14 to 17. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Hmm. See, I think the problem is many of us are taught that we must earn what we get. So the success that we have at work, the diligence that we put in there uh, with money itself, with a good, healthy marriage that, you know, having uh, putting in work does matter. But the lie is that the means of salvation are the same as the means of a successful or healthy relationship. Mm. In other words, the person who saves is not the same as the acts that make us healthy. The person who saves is not the same as the acts that make those healthy. So when we're talking about a spouse or a marriage, marrying your spouse makes you married. Spending time with your spouse helps make your marriage healthy. Hmm. Communicating effectively and lovingly helps make your marriage healthy. It's neither the time nor the communication makes you married. You can spend time and communicate with people who are not your spouse. It's the wedding and all that entails that does. The covenant, the yep. I do. Too often we confuse the person who saves for the habits that heal and help. Hmm. There are plenty of things that God calls us to in obedience. Those aren't necessarily the things that are saving us. It's Him. Right. It's the person. And and yeah. and, and to carry the the marriage illustration, the the wedding day in our salvation is when we first came to Christ and said I do. Yep. And then we can have a healthy or a poor wedding. Yeah. as we continue to follow into him. And yet it's all about the person. Yeah. And so it's not about insurance back on a wedding day. Yeah. And yet it's, so we're, we're using illustrations to help us see that it doesn't rely on us, but it, we do participate in the joy of a saved life. Absolutely. And, and it does make a difference. So 
you know, the Sermon on the Mount is... Anyway, yeah, keep going. I'm, I'm still working it out here as you're saying it, but I, but I think it's really good. Yeah. Because unfortunately, especially in the South, where there's a, a... And you could say this in any place where there's a nominal or cultural Christianity, like Catholic Italy or something, yeah. or, or Orthodox Russia, where they just kind of do what the church says. Maybe in the South it's been like that. Do what the local pastor, Baptist church, whatever, Methodist. But it's not the doing of it that makes you saved. Yeah. It's the relationship with Jesus. But what is that relationship? Like, like... Well, I th- and so I think to kind of sum up what we've talked about, like the problem, ultimately we need to remove the focus off of us and mm. put it back on Jesus. Because so, the, the problem here and why we have to remove so many of this baggage is that sometimes our faiths can be very self-centered instead of Savior-centered. And when we make that mistake, we start falling into these oversimplifications and overcomplications mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's about us. Yep. Like Jesus is a very complicated guy because he's God. Yeah. But when it comes to salvation, it's very simple. His blood in his name. Mm-hmm. It's not what we've done. It's not what we have not done. So yeah, that's good. That's good. So what, what then is the answer of what does it take to be saved without being oversimplified and overcomplicated? We've removed the oversimplifications. We've removed the overcomplica- overcomplications. And so what does it actually look like? Let's answer the question. And so without giving you just right away a bold statement of here's the one thing you need to know, I want to offer two verses that I think highlight the true nature of salvation. Good. Because if we're going to answer this question, where else will we go? but God's word. John 17, three, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Okay, so let's start here. I think John 17, three fundamentally tells us exactly what eternal life is, and it's about knowing who God is. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you. So one of the things that we we're talking about a little bit briefly is that there are kind of two ways uh, to know Jesus. So salvation is knowing God through Jesus. Mm. There's the finite way that in the moment of where we are right now to the place of that we can't know everything that there is to know about who God is in this moment. And we don't have the pressure to, because if, if salvation is about knowing God, then what if we fall short? What if we don't know right. enough? What if there's this little detail of Jesus and that's where all the weight is on, then I'll fall short and I won't mm-hmm. make it as like, we, we're adding that pressure. We're no longer, we're, we're making that us-centered and not him-centered. Mm, mm. And so there is this small picture of, of knowing who God is here and now, of who Jesus is. And the problem is this is always limited. It's marred by sin. Uh, it's affected by our shortcomings about how, of just w- of how we can know him. But then there's the infinite version of the beauty of what salvation mm. is, that we get to spend our eternity getting to know who God is. Mm. That's powerful that all those little details, all those little intricacies of who God is and who Jesus is, we get an eternity to learn those. It's the big picture is of the vast goodness of an infinite salvation. Hmm. And so here's the key takeaway, I think, of John 17, 3. It's that salvation comes from knowing who God is. It's not about how much you do. It's not about how, or how little you may have sinned here or there. It's about who God is. It's about knowing who God is. 
And God is only revealed through Jesus. I love this Oz Guinness quote that uh, actually I didn't even read or hear, but um, Austin Gannett did. And he quoted it once, and I've remembered it forever. Um, and he said, basically, John 14 John, yeah. and John 17, know, knowing God, knowing through Jesus, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus, his son. But there are as many ways to Jesus as there are people who follow him. Hmm. And, and so there's, like, Jesus is in the world revealing himself and thus revealing the Father to people. And everyone who follows him, we might have a different path, but we all have to come to God through his Son, knowing, yep. experiencing, grasping God through Jesus. John 17, 3, that's great. Yep. And so the next outworking of that, mm-hmm. of, of, not, of, of knowing who he is, and then what does that look like as we as that kind of moves out from just a personal experience is Romans 10, 9. Paul says this, oh, yeah. because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's assurance there. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know. Let me offer two keys. And the first is this. Paul says this literally. He says, confess that Jesus is Lord. Mm. I want to make, this, make sure everyone knows this, that we just need this reminder. Confession is important. Yeah. First yeah. Timothy six twelve. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Mm-hmm. Confession before others makes you a partaker in God's people. Yeah, That's one of the many yeah. things that binds the people of God. That when you look to your brother or sister in Christ, to your left or your right, when whether you're in disagreement with somebody, whether you're really frustrated with them, whether you just love them dearly, wherever it is, and when you're surrounded by the people of God, there's w- at least one thing that always unites you. And there's more, but that all of you have made a true confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And you know what? This is also why Christians sing when we get together, because yep. we're reconfessing our faith. The lyrics of the hymns and the songs and the spiritual songs are so important and what we're doing is together confessing with our mouths. And we're yep. owning what we believe because we're saying it, singing it out loud. Yep. I love it. And so the other thing to highlight and Yeah, what that, are we confessing? Yeah, that <laughs> exactly. That Jesus is Lord. Yeah. Like, we all know what Lord means for the most part. Like, it, it means the most important things. The guy who runs your life. Here's the truth. And I say this all the time to our students. There can only be one Lord. Jesus being Lord means nothing and no one else is. Not you, not your parents, not your career, not your money, not your aspirations, not your future. Jesus is Lord. Hmm. So who is Jesus and what kind of Lord is he? Well, he's the kind that'll die for you. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is why he's worth being Lord, because he's the kind that will rescue you. He's going to enter our sinful world and give us the way out that we're longing for, and yeah. we don't even know it sometimes, but we're utterly helpless to try and find. Amen. So he did it. So the Lord is also the Savior, and, and, and I don't think we can ever see the word Lord in Scripture and not also think rescuer. Absolutely. Because he's not just lording. Like, we think of yeah, Lord as a yeah. bad thing. He's just lording of your life. Like, like no. Part of that lordship is is a rescuing. The Son of Man came to be uh, to serve and to give his life yep. as a ransom. Great. So in Romans ten nine, the first key there is to understand that confess that Jesus is Lord. The second is to believe in your heart. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of definitions of probably what belief is and what believe in your heart means. 
But just to help make this clear, I think for people that belief is not, and this is where I find a lot of people exist in somewhere or believe one of these two things that it's, I believe you existed or I believe you were a person that when we say believe in your heart, we kind of go, oh, well, yeah, I, I mean, I believe that Jesus existed or I believed he was a person or I believed he was helpful. I believe he was a teacher. I believe he, and we fill in the blank. But when we miss out on believing Jesus is Lord, that's why that Lord part matters. Mm-hmm. Because belief is not just, I believe this little thing, but belief is taking someone at their word. Yeah, yeah. It says, oh, when they teach you something, when they say something, when they correct you, when they command you, oh, go, oh, I believe you. And it's more than mental assent. It's life yep. orientation. Yeah. It's both. Yeah. And part of that is trust. It's the primary mm. way. It's when, it's not that just that mental, it's the actually when Jesus says, no, look, there's this thing in your life and it's not good. And you go, okay, Lord, I trust you. Like, let me, mm-hmm. you want me to go here? Okay, I trust you. You want me to quit this job? Okay, I trust you. You, I need to step away from this thing that I have so much faith in and trust in. Well, I trust you more. And we all have examples of this all the time. Like, I remember this was helpful for me. If, if you trust that chair will hold you, guess what? Hmm. You sit down on it. That's right. If you don't trust it to, you don't sit down. Yep, that's good. Uh, I, one of the things I, I've heard from you say a, a good bit just is that trust is entrusting yourself to mm-hmm. someone. Mm-hmm. I find that so helpful Yeah. because if we're going to trust Jesus, we need to entrust ourselves to him, to all of his, to his commands, to his words, to the way he lived his life, to the way he's commanded us to live our lives. Like if we trust him, then we entrust our lives to him. And I love that it's believe in your heart, meaning from the core of your being, not yeah. just with your emotions, like we yeah. have heart as emotions, but scripture has heart as the core of your, the central part of your identity. So believe from the center of who you are, what? That God raised him from the dead. It's an event in history. We're not making this up. We're not sort of airy-fairy, oh yeah, Jesus is nice. Yeah. No, no, this happened in history. Do you believe that? Do you stake your life on it? And by the way, if God raised him, means he must have died. So there we're back at Savior. Yep. Jesus the Lord is always the Savior. So to answer the question, what yeah. does it take to be saved? What we've covered is that we need to not oversimplify mm-hmm. and we need to not overcomplicate the situation. And that once we remove those, we can really focus in on what does it actually take to be saved? And we looked at John seventeen three, and Romans 10, 9. Mm-hmm that this is eternal life, that they know you, and that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what does that mean for us? It means that the verdict to the question of what does it take to be saved means to know God as Lord mm. or to know God is Lord. Mm-hmm. Friends, it's that simple. God revealed in Jesus, yep. Lord including Savior, that's what it is. And to know him. Just to know, <laughs> believe, and trust. Yeah. And it's not just mm. yeah, not just a, a mental knowing, not just to believe that he happened to live or to believe he was these things, but to apply it, to know it. Because know is far bigger than just, oh, I, oh, I know that. But yeah. to apply it to who you are. Because when God is Lord we know him for who he is. Like sometimes I think we think that 
Jesus was just like this little picture of who God was, and he tossed it out there to save us. But it's like that was the thing he had to do hmm. so that hmm. we could spend eternity with him. But it's not really him. Right. No. That's who he is. That's God, yep. That's the, the clearest picture. It's the fullness mm-hmm. of who God is that we have. Mm-hmm. We know him for who he is. Well, super quickly here, yeah. give us some test cases. Let's run through them super fast. Yeah. Because are we just making this up, or does the Bible actually reflect this, the Gospels and Acts and the Epistles? Yeah. So three really quick test cases. If you don't believe either of us today, uh, you can go ahead and look, <laughs> look at these. And so these are always helpful for me. So the first one is the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. So the jailer says this, Sir, what must I do to be saved? He's asked this to Paul and Silas, and Paul and Silas uh, so this, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Well, there you go. Sounds like they've read your script. Ah, uh, man. It's almost like I got it from them. <laughs> uh, how about the rich young ruler? Okay. The rich young ruler says, good teacher. He's talking to Jesus. What shall I do so that I may inherit eternal life? And this is what Jesus says, if, if you want to take him at his word. After talking about all the commandments, he says this, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And, and trust yourself to Jesus. Like, go yep. and sell all the possessions. they got a hold in his heart. But then come, follow me. Yep. yep, that's good. And then probably my favorite in Luke 23, 39 to 43, as we are always trying to toss more things on to the question of what does it take to be saved, of how much we know or how much we do, I think the greatest example is the thief on the cross. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. And one of the criminals who was hanged, Right beside him, he says this, are, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. No theology courses that guy took. Nope. <laughs> And so any moment that we get caught on really questioning our salvation and asking the Lord, what does it take to be saved? Whether it's that we want to oversimplify it or overcomplicate it, we can look to the Philippian jailer, the rich young ruler, and the thief on the cross as a guideline and a help to finding out the truth that it's not about what we do, good or bad. It's about what Christ has done, Mm -hmm. about who he is, and that we know who he is who God is as Lord. Mm-hmm. Ben, thank you. I mean, this is good. This is super helpful. Here's what I know is that someone is listening to this and they're like, oh, I never thought of it like that. And someone else is listening to this saying, I just had a conversation with a coworker or with a friend mm-hmm. or with my kids or with my cousin. And hopefully this can be a tool in the tool belt of folks who are listening to um, help others understand the glory of the gospel. Just the great good news that what is what does it take to be saved is to know God as Lord, to know Jesus as Savior, and it's all the same, to trust Him. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank Ben for all the hard work you've done on this and for coming back from vacation. I wasn't sure you'd return. Uh, everyone else, come back the next time, and we're going to have a great time. Blessings. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org.